0: simply through the use of strength alone, okay? So I'm going to start by showing you the spoon. This is the spoon. It's a normal metal spoon. There's nothing unusual about it. Uh, If I click it, you can hear the metal sound, okay? So let's begin. I'm just going to start now focusing my intention on the spoon and bringing energy into the spoon. So that was pretty good. I think you will agree that I would not possibly have been able to do that simply by strength. If you.'ll we'll leave that on. All right. First John, chapter 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and we have touched with our hands, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Uh, So let's pray. Father God, we just we just ask you to be here tonight. We ask that your spirit will be present, that your spirit will be active, that you would just be free to come in power, Lord. God, I pray for an anointing to speak your word and to speak your truth, God, uh, and to speak it, and speak it through your spirit. Just come and inhabit this time, God. We pray these things through the power of Christ's name, Amen. It was uh, it was kind of cool when I was when I was preparing this lesson, this talk, the sermon, whatever you want to call it, like I really, really thought the way, I really thought I knew the way I was going to go with it. I really thought that um, of the three kind of paragraphs that are in those ten verses, I really thought that I, I like the middle paragraph, the second paragraph, that was it. That was, that's where the money was. I knew that's where I was going. I knew the angle I wanted to take. And um, And as I really started to prepare more and more, I just really kept kind of, kind of steering toward uh, toward the first paragraph. And I don't really know why, I just couldn't get away from it. Uh, it was just something that was there. It's something that, as I kept reading, all of the, if you can call it insight or whatever, was coming off those first four verses. Even though I really wanted to talk about the next two. I want to talk about, well, the next three. Five, five through seven is what I want to talk about. But I just couldn't. I couldn't really make that happen. And it was kind of cool because the way I was... The angle I was going to take with five through seven was basically exactly what Tom spoke on this morning. Uh except I probably would have said it far less eloquently than he did. So so that was kind of affirmation for me at least that hey, maybe God's got something in this. Maybe maybe there's something more to this. And hopefully, yes, I'll I'll wrap the uh the Zensite lady into this. Um I found that on Thursday as well when I was kind of steering toward steering toward the first four. Um and kind of like, kind of like um, Tom said this morning when he was reading out of Matthew five, a lot of that stuff that we read in there, you're like, wow, thanks for the good news, Jesus. You know, where it talks about if, if there's, you know, if we, uh, if there's any in truth in us, then then we're walking in the darkness, and that means the light isn't in us. But there's more to it than that. So verse one says, "That which was from the beginning." And I just want to start right there. Um, the author of the book is most likely John. That's why they call it First John. But the author of the book, John, is is setting up. The first four verses he's got here is kind of the prologue. This is uh, this is setting up the entire book of First John. Uh, he's he's just giving. A, he's gonna. He's basically saying, "Listen, I'm gonna tell you something. This is what I'm gonna tell you, and this is why I'm gonna tell you." And the first thing first thing he says is, "That which was from the beginning." So the subject that John's talking about. Is, um, is what we'll learn later is Christ. And he's saying that Christ was from the beginning. Lay a little groundwork. This is kind of theology 101. Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. And, and what he's referencing there is he's referencing Genesis 1 1, 1 which says, you know, everybody knows that one, it's a Christian or no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So everybody knows that. So he's saying here, that which was from the beginning. So he's putting it in that, in that framework of Genesis 1.1. Uh, he's also putting it in the book of John, uh, chapter 1, where he talks about um, in the beginning, and he uses the same, the same phrase again as Genesis, to set up his subject. To set up what he, The person he is going to talk about was there at the beginning. Um, John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what he's saying here is, the subject I'm talking about isn't part of creation. There is no, if you were there in the beginning with God, when he was creating the heavens, when he was creating the earth, when he was, you know, brainstorming what we know as gravity, what we know as physics, math, the basic things that we know, as he was brainstorming all of that, Um, If you were there with him then, that means you have no beginning and no end. And that's his subject. The subject has absolutely no beginning and no end. Um, The subject is eternal. Christ is eternal. Um, He's not part of creation. He is the source of creation. His story did not begin in the manger. Uh, So that's kind of what we get from the first little glimpse of that. So in the beginning... That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which we have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. And what he's saying is, okay. And that's kind of one of the things that frustrated me a little bit is because I kept reading this and kept reading this and and I kept passing right over that. But the depth and just the weight of what he's saying there, is he's saying that the eternal, that which has no end, has no beginning, is not part of creation, the eternal has stepped into the temporal. It stepped into time. It stepped in, and he uses words like, um, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've looked at, we've touched. So all of these things. So the eternal has stepped into the temporal. And the reason he's doing this, the reason he's setting this up, the reason he's saying something that seems so basic to us, is he's directly countering false teaching. He's direct, directly countering the, te- the teaching of... Um, there's there's, three base, there's two groups and one person that most biblical scholars that in my 20 minutes of research think that he was aiming these words against. But the overall theme is he was definitely refuting um, heresy. Um, it was the, the Gnostics, uh, the Docetists, I think is how you say that word, and a guy named Serentis. And, and what they kind of taught is, um, one group taught that, you know, Jesus, he only kind of appeared to have a physical body, but he was actually completely spirit and he didn't die on the cross. Um, you know, granted, yes, if you, you think you saw him, but you didn't. You think you heard him, but you it was more of a spirit thing. You think you touched him, but that was just kind of a figment of your imagination. So that's what one group said. Another group said that that Jesus was um, just kind of Joshmo Jesus, but the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Messiah, descended on him during baptism and, and got the heck out of there right before crucifixion, which I don't know, doesn't seem really kind of fair if you're the man, Jesus, that all of a sudden you get, you know, the spirit for the cool stuff, but when it's time to die, he takes off. And, um, and, and kind of said the same thing. Serenthus said that, you know, Jesus wasn't the Christ. He, um, he was a good guy, maybe a prophet, all these things, but he wasn't the Christ. And, and that was, uh, these are the direct heresies that, that John is, Is speaking against when he's talking here, just in these, just in these few verses. Uh, But the importance about that is, and this is the reason I showed the video, and I know it was kind of a, just kind of a goofy, kind of, you know, hopefully nobody in here was like, yeah, zinsight.com. I got to check that out. That's, I'm in. I'm I'm convinced. I can bend a spoon, not using just my mind. I'm going to use my hands. But. But the power of intention, and that, that was actually the—that uh, was actually when I when I was looking for some kind of a video clip or some some example of kind of a modern day uh, translation of what the of what Paul was ref- or what John was refuting here. I looked at this guy named Wayne Dyer, and he is uh, in his early sixties. Um, has written at least one book or co-authored a book. And it's called The Power of Intention. And it's literally the goofiest thing you'll ever read or see in your life. But he goes, like, the dude's on tour. The dude's 60-something years old. And he, like, goes on tour. He goes to clubs. He goes to arenas. He goes to uh, theaters. And he has this whole setup. And, and, it, and when you look at it, you can watch the video online. When you look at the videos, you're like, wow. This, ah, that's, you know. As far as the production goes, it's really good. Production value is awesome. Uh, it looks like if you've ever been to like a North Point Church or a Saddleback Church, you know there's huge stage set up, there's props, there's there's the really big giant screen without the the projector standing right behind me, but you know it looks really good. And he comes out and he's got you know he's He's got the jacket on, not wearing a tie, but he's you know he's still kind of styling a little bit because he's he's unbuttoned a couple times and he comes out and he does this maneuver a lot and he and he and he just talks. He sounds like a preacher. He sounds it sounds like you're going to church when you meet this guy uh, or when you when you go to hear this guy. And the stuff he talks about, the only way I can say it, the stuff he talks about smells religious. It smells spiritual. Because he talks about, you know, everything in life, every person, every action, every thought has an intention, thus the power of intention. And, and everything, there's a reason for everything. And there is there is this incredible source of power and source of strength that if we can just if we can just somehow tap into this source, he sometimes calls it the orb. If we can somehow tap into the orb, we can we can be full of power. We can be full of intention. We can take a metal spoon, close our eyes, and 30 seconds focus our intention on the spoon and then twist it up. And and that's what, I mean, the lady that you saw in the video is basing her power of intention spoon bending on this guy Wayne Dyer. And uh, and it it's just, you know, the thing about it is it kind of falls flat. In my opinion, and I really hope there's not a huge Wayne Dyer fan here, in my opinion, you've got to be, fairly stupid to fall for his stuff. I mean, you, you've got to be kind of dumb because, yeah, there's a show. There's even like a worship band that comes up afterwards and they sing praise songs to like the orb or the nothingness that we can get connected into. But, but you'd have to be fairly dumb to fall for what this guy's saying. But there's tons of other stuff. There's a, there's a million other things that are, that are real-life, current-day examples of this. And one I actually heard um, on the radio a couple weeks ago. I was just listening to NPR. Um, yes, I listen to NPR. Um, but I also listen to talk radio because I, like I, I like to get my news jaded both ways. That's, I, listen to, I, I, watch Fox, I watch Fox News. I watch CNN. So watch C-SPAN. See, I listen to all. So somewhere, somewhere in between the jaded and right and left, you'll find truth. So that's why you get you get both of them. So yes, I was listening to NPR the other day on the radio, and they had this guy, Dr. Ebu Patel. Um, early 30s, actually. Dr. Ebu Patel, Patel grew up a Muslim Indian. Uh, the first 15 years or so of his life. Uh, lived in India, his family moved later to the United States, and he talks about the huge struggle that he had being um, being a Muslim in India, which, you know, there's a lot of Hindus in, in India, and there's a lot of strife there. Um, so he talks about the struggle of growing up, A, in India as a Muslim, and then moving to America and being an, an Indian Muslim American. And, and he just talks about the turmoil that all this created in his life and 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 just the confusion and the the awkwardness and there was always he said there was always tenseness you know there was always there's always this underlying fear to his life and and through his kind of, through his experience he has uh uh formed this group and they're called the interfaith youth corps and the Interfaith Youth Corps. It's not like Peace Corps, not C O R P S, it's C O R E, like it's Interfaith Youth Hardcore. Um, <laughs> but he created this Interfaith Youth Corps. And and despite the stuff that I do disagree with, there's a lot of stuff that I really, you know, I really like. The idea is he's basically creating a youth ministry dedicated to religious pluralism. So, I'll say that again, a youth ministry dedicated to religious pluralism. And his reasoning behind this is, and this is the part that, you know, it, I I see where he's going. I see his point. Because he talks about, you see all the movements today. There's one called the Christian Identity Movement. That's where the uh, um, the guy who blew up the Olympics and a bunch of, like gay bars and abortion clinics. The guy that blew those up, he was part of the Christian identity movement. And then you've got groups like Al-Qaeda and, and all the kind of extreme religious terror organizations. He, he, he studied them. And, and one thing he realized was, you know, these, these guys aren't going after the 35-year-old men and women. They're not going after the 40-and-over crowd. They're going, you know, college and younger. That's their recruiting field. That's that. That's where the money is. That's where they can shape lies. That's where they can form them. That's where they can catch them. And he became frustrated with, with this these extremes that were pulling on young people, and and he he he, he equates it. He calls it the faith line. He says the defining, uh, the defining point. The defining theme of the 21st century is the faith line. And he's, he's kind of, he's playing off uh, the quote that said the 20th century will be defined by the race line. And to a large extent it was. But he's saying that now that we're in the 21st century, um, things are going to be defined by the faith line. And, and the faith line, as he describes it, is no middle ground. You can't be in the middle. You're either on one side or the other. And one side is... Uh, religious pluralism that says, you know what? I mean, hey, everybody's different. Everybody's got religion. We need to work together. Let's just ignore all of the differences and let's just say, okay, everybody's right. All of your religions. Everybody's right. Now just move on with your lives. Don't try and convert anybody. Don't talk to anybody about it. You know, coexist, work peacefully, work together. But anything that divides you, completely ignore that. Wash that out of Wash that out of your mindset, wash that out of your thinking. so on one side is religious pluralism, and on the other side is is, uh, is what he called religious totalitarianism and and that says if you hold that your religion is the one is is the one true way uh, if you think that you should convert somebody else, then you are a religious totalitarianism, and that is a slippery slope to Strapping on a vest and going into a convenience store and blowing up random people, and he says that's the line. And, and he's and he's basically like, it's kind of funny because he's really he's he's bashing a lot of things, but he but he's very much put a hey if you're not with me then you're against me kind of statement out there. And, and I think that's one of the things he overlooks. So despite despite what I think is a good point, he's, his focus is to develop. A youth, a youth ministry, a youth movement of religious pluralism where people, which and it sounds good, I and mean, you go on their website, man, and they've got good stuff. They say, you know, people need to work together and we need to avoid another Holocaust, avoid World War Three, all this kind of stuff, work together. But, but, but I kind of, the means kind of, the means don't justify that in my opinion. So that's one thing, religious, totalitarian, or religious pluralism is something that, that's easy to fall into. Um, and I say all that to say, uh, what, what those things are doing, what the power of intention, as goofy as that is, to religious pluralism, what they're, what they're doing is the same thing that, that the Gnostics and the Docetists that, that John was refuting. It's the same thing they were doing. And, and it's very simple. They're taking Christ... Out of Jesus. And that, to me, is is the biggest threat to our faith. Because there are a million things every day screaming for us just to take the Christ out of Jesus. You know what? I mean, post nine eleven world, everybody's kind of spiritual. They're 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 clinging to something they have no problem with you talking about God. No problem, most people, with you talking about Jesus even. But when you start talking about the hard truths, when you start talking about the eternal Christ, the God, the uncreated one, the creator, the source of life, stepping out of eternity and into time, well then that's a huge stumbling block. That's a big deal. That's bad news for From my desires. Because if that's true, then all of a sudden, everything he said, it has to be true. All of a sudden, I'm not God anymore. All of a sudden, my wants, my desires, aren't quite as important as they were before. And that, to me, is a huge struggle. And and the simple thing that he's doing is, is John saying, listen, he's setting it up. That which was from the beginning. We've seen it. We've touched it. We've heard it we have experienced, that we've lived with this guy, we proclaim to you that he stepped out of heaven and into time. And one of the things he's, he's encouraging us to do is just say, hey, you know what? It's going to come where you are faced with the choice of saying, hey, you know what? The Christ part of Jesus is just too offensive. That temptation is always going to be there. And what John is urging us to do is to just say, you know, is to fall back on what you know to be true, fall back on the basic truths, and to fall back on your experience. When you've experienced God, when you've experienced His love, that helps you get through all those things. And I, I kind of I say all that, and that's that's um, <laughs> that's still kind of not where. That's still kind of just leading up to what Paul's saying, or what John's saying. I'm sorry. I talk about New Testament, New Testament and I automatically say Paul, because it's just easy. Um, but that's what John is saying. Um, it says, This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Um, verse 3 says this, We proclaim to you what we have heard and seen, so that you, may, you also may have fellowship with us. Um, and that's kind of that's where he's going with this. This is more the point of First John than just just um refuting a heresy. He's talking about fellowship, and, and fellowship is one of those those difficult things to to kind of define. So often we get like, yeah, I know fellowship. I've been to church. Yeah, we we actually have a fellowship hall. We go there and eat fried chicken every Wednesday night. Um, or, yeah, yeah, I got fellowship with, with a ton of people. We go and have drinks and we go eat dinner after, after the church service. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And and yeah, those, those things are part of fellowship, but I think the fellowship that he's talking about, the fellowship with other believers that John is talking about here is, is something completely different. And, and kind of bear with me as I, I share this next example. I didn't know whether or not I was going to do this, but I want to, I want to show you one of my most treasured possessions on, on all of earth, um, and it's this. This right here. Ready to get a good look? One of my most treasured possessions on the face of the earth. Like, we're talking the house is on fire. I'm getting the wife, the kid, and this out. Um, and and then, yeah, it's, it's a guitar pick. It's, it's kind of similar to the one I use. Um, but if you can't see, there's, there's two, two little uh, things etched on there. And it says, you too, etched on my pick. Um, and I caught the pick. Actually, my sister was standing next to me. She's getting embarrassed because she knows that this is going to be embarrassing for us. Um, I caught this at a U2 show in Atlanta. Uh, not from The Edge. No, that would have been really cool. I actually caught it from his guitar tech. Which anybody in here tell me The Edge's guitar tech's name? Anyone? Anyone? Dallas Shoe. That's just a little trivia question. Um, my sister and I have a slight problem. We have a slight addiction. We, Since I was seven years old, I've had the same favorite band. Um, Some people say that I'm borderline obsessed. I don't think I've crossed that line quite yet. I do like them. I do love them. They are the one and only band I would and have camped outside for to see live. Uh, and, And you can't have to camp outside because they've done general admission the past couple tours where you get a general admission you know, ticket with, you know, four thousand other people, and you know, hey, first come, first serve. For you know, you're there early, you get close, which is how I got my pick. But <laughs> when you're standing in line for a U2 concert, it is something to behold that you just you have to experience it to believe it, because. As dorky as I may be, and as obsessed as I may be, like I don't really care about the band's personal lives. Yeah, Bono does a lot of good stuff with Africa. That's that's all well and good, but I'm in it for the music. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of bootlegs. Um, downloaded mostly legally, but, but that's not the point. I'm losing my point. I'm sorry. The U2 when you're in line at the U2 concert, there's like and you're there for, you know, close to 24 hours with, like, a sleeping bag, a pillow, maybe, uh, your iPod, if you're lucky, or whatever. And there's just a couple hundred other U2 fans. They're, they've got their boom boxes out, and they're going through their, their collection of U2 songs. She's putting them in, like, 24 hours straight. And the conversation's just, oh, oh U2 this, oh, oh that. Oh, what about the next tour? What about the next, I don't know. What about the next tour? I don't know. What about the next album? Oh, the next album. Oh, well, are, are they getting too old? They're all, they're all like 40-something now. And so literally 24 hours straight, there's this, this chatter of everything and all things U2. And, and I can kind of hold my own, but these people make me... They kind of... I pale in comparison to some of these people. They know everything. Everything. And and the U2 fan is unique in that because they are so passionate. I've been I've been walking in... Vienna, Austria wearing a U2 t-shirt. I had this guy come up to me. He uh, spoke broken English and I spoke no German and was like, you too. I'm like, yeah, you too. And and he's like, he's telling me this concert, the, the concerts that he went to. I'm like, oh, that would have been awesome. I would have loved to have been at that concert. And I'm telling him, yeah, he's like, oh, I would love to see them in the States, because in the States they play in arenas. And generally in Europe and other places they play in stadiums, and it's much less intimate. So he's like, oh, I would have loved to see them in the States. And we literally had this conversation going back and forth for, I don't know, half an hour or something, in, again, broken English and no German. But I'm like, I could have spent the whole day with this guy because he was fun. And we had this intense connection with U2 because he was he was a passionate U2 Nerd, much like myself, and that—that that, oh, went to lose that. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is a small picture of fellowship. The fellowship that John is talking about here is when we when we share the most. Kind of, it, it's an intense sharing of common experiences, common thoughts, common responses. It's when we share that in common, when we see eye to eye with somebody, when we, when you just know how they're going to react, Um, obviously, husbands and wives are supposed to have this, you know, you enjoy their company, you, you can kind of sense how they're going to respond to certain situations before other people do, because you have, you've had this fellowship, you see eye to eye, you have the same heartbeat, you have the same cares, the same concerns, and and so the U2 and the, even the marriage is just is just a small picture of the fellowship that John's talking about here with other believers. The fellowship that he's talking about is so much more intense than going to a foreign country and being able to talk to somebody roughly about a band. What he's talking about is is very similar. You can go to other parts of the world and you've got family there. You go to a communist country. You go to Cuba. And where you have basically nothing in common with these people. Except for you're their family. This is your brother. This is your sister. And, and you have that connection. You have the same heartbeat. You have the same longings. You long to see your friends come to Christ. You long to, to see your community changed. And, that, and there's that bond there. And that's kind of the cool thing about fellowship and the cool thing about missions in a lot of senses is, is the fact that it kind of makes our world bigger and smaller at the same time. It makes our world bigger because it takes us out of the normal routine of, of going from our house, to wherever we live, to where we work, to where we go to school, and our favorite restaurant. And if those three or four places, if that's what our world consists of, then we're really important. Like, I'm a big deal. Like, if you just, you know, if my world is home and work and chilies or whatever, like, I'm a big deal. Like, my needs, my wants are really important. My opinion is really important. And, and what the fellowship that John's talking about takes us out of that mindset. It says, you know what? You can go to South Africa. You can go to Austria. You can go to any nation on the world. And if you meet a believer, then you've met a brother. You've met a sister. And you have that fellowship with them. You have that intense, common heartbeat with this person. So it makes our world bigger in that sense, but it makes it smaller as well. Because when you do go to those places, when you do hear those stories, all of a sudden your heart hurts for those people. Your heart is connected to those people. Um, You know, because because of our trip to South Africa, I have people that live in South Africa that I consider my friends, that I consider my family, if something happened to them, I would be devastated. And the same thing with other trips you've gone on. You don't have to leave the country. You don't have to leave the city. But it's the same thing. All of a sudden, people that are thousands of miles away are so close to your heart. So it makes our world bigger and it makes our world smaller. Um... The final point that, that John talks about here is, is fellowship with God. And, and this, this obviously is the most important part. But he goes, um, continuing on in verse 3, he says, that We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And he says, And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's, that's kind of what he's saying. There's an invitation there to come into a fellowship with with god and and in order to have fellowship with God, what you're saying is god's concerns are now my concerns god god's views are now my views i'm willing to put aside what I think is important, what I feel and I want to be on the same page as God. And, and there's intense power in this fellowship that comes from that. There's intense power that, that when we are in fellowship with God and in fellowship with other believers, we can come into a place like this. And this isn't, you know, a 50-year-old chapel that's down the street or on the other side of town or in a place that you're just living. But when you walk into a room like this, it's a family reunion. And and you can let go of the pretenses that so often we come into. The we go into every other circumstance in life and, and it carries over. It carries over into church. That we walk into the we walk into church kind of holding our breath. Kind of putting on a face. You want to wear the right clothes. You want to say the right things. Anybody asks you how you're doing, you say, great. Even though you could just be a wreck inside. The fellowship that he's talking about here tears down those walls. It gives us the freedom to, to exhale when we come into this time with our family. When we come into this place, it's a family reunion. He goes on and and the difficult part um, was he goes on he talks about walking in the light, and he says if if you walk as, if you walk in the light as I am in, as I am in the light, then you have fellowship. but if you're not, then the truth isn't in you and And if you want to talk if you want to hear about righteousness or being made righteous, seriously get Tom's talk from this morning because he did an awesome job on it, so much better than I could have done. But he ends with, with talking about being in the light and having fellowship with God. And that's what, I, that's what I want the invitation to kind of be. That's what I want the challenge to be, is he's saying, listen, God is light. And the light is obviously good because you're contracting it into darkness. But beyond that, I mean, the light does, <laughs> light does exactly what light is meant to do. And it exposes things. It takes what was in the darkness and it moves it into the light. And when we have fellowship with God, that's what He's asking of us. Is He's saying, listen, let go of your pretenses. Let go of your sin. <coughs> let go of what you've been holding on to. And come and let me shine my light in your life. On every part. Not just the part that, <coughs> not just the part that that you want other people to see, not the part that you're used to showing off, but let me shine my light on every part of your life, and let's work out your salvation together. <coughs> That's the invitation that Christ, that God is giving us. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's pray you <laughs>